my good. Oh, well, what a privilege to be here this morning. I, I, I do want to be honest. Um, I, I wanted my wife to be here for another reason as well. Because my wife is so beautiful that when people see me and then look at her, it just makes the gospel more real. You, when we go places, people think I play for the Redskins or I'm her bodyguard. Or, so occasionally I'll just walk with her in the mall and go, oh yeah, we're clear, she's walking in right now. So. I wanted to give, I also, I, whenever I take my wife with me, I tell you, men, listen, single men, listen, if you can make a woman laugh, no one is out of your league, okay? I saw her, she saw me, I had a perspective, she didn't have that perspective. But I laughed her all the way up to the altar. And to this day, we still laugh, huh, baby? Amen. Ah, uh, Keith, uh, I, before I begin, I have to, I have to thank, uh, I could thank many people, but I must thank in particular two families. And they've actually appeared on this stage. I must first thank you, church, for the way that you have loved and how much uh, Bill and Nancy Treby have loved this church and you have loved them and that has been an extension to me as I have been able to each time I come to come into this suite this this house that they said that is downsized from before and I walked in and looked around and they said yeah we downsized and I thought and then I go into this room and it's this Huge, beautiful bed, and, and I'm thinking, this is downsized. <laughs> but I have so appreciated the hospitality of Bill and Nancy Treaty. They have become friends to me, and I am very grateful. And each year, Nancy always says, show me the picture of your babies. And I have two beautiful boys, and I love to show them off. I am a proud dad. So, and I have to thank, I have to thank uh, Jeff and Kathy Earhart. Jeff, uh, I have benefited far more from the friendship with Jeff than I could communicate in the time frame allotted for me to address you this morning. Jeff is a dear friend, and he is a faithful brother. See, what Jeff told you this morning was that I would go into the schools and I would connect with the kids. But what Jeff won't tell you is that in different schools, whether it's Carver or one of the schools where kids get kicked out of, that when they see Jeff, they instantly recognize him. Now, they may call him the pizza man. That's what they say. Well, that's how we do in black culture. We identify with food. So they see Jeff and they be like, hey, you the pizza man, huh? <laughs> see, I've been in New Orleans enough, I got a little bit of the slang, you heard me? And so, 
So I've been here, I've been here long enough to get a little bit of the slang. And, and, but you know what? They, they love Jeff. They love Jeff. What Jeff won't tell you is this. On Wednesday, the guy that he brought came to Jeff and opened up his life to Jeff and felt comfortable enough with Jeff to allow Jeff to pick him up and drop him off in his neighborhood, to come to this church Wednesday night in a culture that's totally different from anything he's ever experienced because he trusts Jeff, one of your pastors. Buddy, thank you. Thank you, man. You are making a difference. You are making a difference. It's one thing to come to the hood once or twice and try to help. It's another to come back year after year. And that says a lot, a lot more than me coming in and grabbing their attention for 40 minutes. I've had the privilege this whole week to go into schools and talk to kids and explain to them how I was at one point in my life standing in a courtroom in front of a judge facing 43 years in prison for multiple felonies. And I told that story so much I could have Jeff actually tell it. Um, I, I want to I spare you some of those details, but I do want to say a couple things because what I, what I want you to, what I'd like to talk about briefly in telling a little bit of my story is how did a guy from the streets facing 40 years in prison end up in a family of churches like Sovereign Grace as a pastor? And that testimony I think you would identify with more. So with the knowledge of knowing that I, I lived a, a, a drug life, a gang life, I was in an altercation that led to gun violence. I was guilty. I was charged with multiple felonies, facing 40 years in prison. There were some technicalities with my case, and I was, all the felony charges against me were thrown out, and I pled guilty to possession of a gun of reckless endangerment and went from 40 years in prison to two. In the process of getting out, I knew that I didn't want to live the street life anymore. I, I had seen enough of what that life was like and decided that that wasn't what was going to be best for me. And to be honest, I just got tired of breaking my mom's heart. I remembered the night before my trial or my court case that my mom came to me in tears and said, I cannot be there when they, when they take you and, and lock you up. And in tears back, I said to my mom, I don't want you to be there. And it was the first time I really, really realized how much all this pain really caused my mom. And that hurt much more than having my freedom taken away from me. So I decided I wanted to change. So I'll never forget, I'd gotten out and I'd gotten a real job. And this job paid like 200 something dollars a week. And I was used to making that in a matter of minutes, selling drugs. And I'll never forget, I was so, I was so, I was just distraught. And I thought, man, I, I'm not going to survive. I can't make it like this. And it was, I was outside in the freezing cold. And I remembered, I remembered back in 1990, I had went to church. A friend of a friend had invited us and I responded to this altar call. I went up and I asked the Lord to save me and I remember a period of time where I really would read my Bible in, and I really felt like I had a real relationship with the Lord, but I had strayed away from that so far away that I just thought, man, I, 
I can't believe that I could have lived a different way. And so I'm standing out in the freezing cold. It's about 3.30 in the afternoon, and I just looked up and said, Lord, I don't even know if you're listening right now. But I'm just looking over the course of my life these last five years. And I said, I feel like I've gone too far to believe in you. And I said, Lord, if you, if you don't help me now, there's no way I'll ever be able to believe in you. I said, I don't want to return to the streets, but I can't do this. And that was all I said. No sky split. No epiphany. Actually got a little colder. <laughs> Went inside. Didn't necessarily know there was any change. But for some reason, I just had a desire to read this book. And then I began to memorize this book. And all of a sudden, all I wanted to do was read this book. And I started memorizing verses. And the next thing I know, and one day I realized, wow, I know 100 verses. And then I heard a small voice say, well, how many of them are you living? I thought, you know, I'm going to stop memorizing verses for a while and just try to live a few of these. Now, I'd had a friend who had gone off in high school. My mom moved me to the suburbs in Gaithersburg, Maryland, because I was in so much trouble up to that point. Uh, the, the local police department and my teachers had said to her, look, if you don't move him away from here, he's going to be dead or in jail by the time he's 18. I was a ringleader. I was one of the young gangsters that was coming up. And so we moved to the suburbs where I saw cows, real cows for the first time. Trees, beautiful trees. I thought trees were on TV. And, and so we moved to the suburbs and I met some people in high school and I really wanted to be in sports. And so I kept this friendship with a buddy of mine who was going to grad school in Miami and he ends up getting saved at the Sovereign Grace Church. My buddy Alpino, senior pastor, he gets saved there. And I, so we, I told him, hey man, I'm... I, I'm, I'm living for the Lord too, man. I'm reading my Bible and stuff. And he's like, look, I'm coming back home. I'm coming home. We got to go to this church called Covenant Life. So I was like, what is that? He was like, it's this big church in the area. You got to come. So I didn't initially go. I went back to this church that I, this all black church. And I went to, responded to the altar call. But I went to this church for a few months. But what would happen is when he moved back, I began meeting all these people. They were my age, but they loved the Lord. The problem, though, was they were white. <laughs> and so I was like, this is cool. You know, it's cool. I like that. You know, we can chop it up. You know, we talk about things in the word and, and we do that. But it, when it came to coming to the church, I was like, nah, <laughs> I just can't do it. So this went on for the year. This is 1999. This went on for a year. And at the end of 99, they invited me to this conference called New Attitude, but they lied. <laughs> because what they told me was it was a singles conference, and I said, uh, what type of people are going to be there? And they said, oh, man, it's all types of people, black, Hispanic, you know, everybody, all kinds of singles. It's just thousands. So I was like, cool, I can do that. So I get to the conference. And I remember I was running late, and I got to the door, and I heard the music. And I thought, hmm, 
So I sign in and get my badge and I put it on and, and I open the door to walk in and I see all these hands raised up worshiping the Lord and they was all white. And I remember thinking, man, it's like an indoor blizzard in here. And I'm looking around trying to find anybody that's black. I mean, it was thousands of people and I can literally count how many black people are there. I was like this. One. Two. Three. Four. He's Latino. And this is what I said. I said this. I looked up and I said, Lord, you got me. I said, you got me. Because you know if I knew it was going to be like this, I would not have come. I said, but I'm here, Lord. Do what you do. And I stayed through the whole conference. And I left. And I realized I have a problem. Here was my problem. As much as I hated to admit it, I had learned more about the gospel and had been around people who were more passionate about the gospel than this all-black church that I was a part of. And I struggled because everyone was like, man, come to Covenant Life. And I said, Covenant White? I mean, this church is three, 3,500 people. And so I just said, all right, I'm going to fast and pray. And I went before the Lord, and I fasted for four days. And I remember at the fourth day, I didn't hear anything, and I prayed, Lord, what do I do? Sunday is approaching. This was Thursday. I said, Sunday is coming. What do I do? And I knew it was the Lord because I didn't even think like this. I didn't even have the theological categories. And this was the voice that I heard. It said, son, you are a Christian first and a black man second. And once I heard that, I knew that if I'm a Christian first, I'm obligated to go where I'm going to grow. And so I called my buddy and said, all right, I'm going to come to Covenant White (laughs) and, and we'll see what's going on. Now, so I get to this church, and this is the thing. When you go to a church, when you're the predominant culture of a church, you think, hey, come to my church. When you're not the predominant culture, what you don't realize is you're not just going to someone's church. You're going to their culture. You don't just come to someone's church and become a part of their church. You embrace the culture of that church. In Sovereign Grace, there's a culture. So when I came, it wasn't as if like, oh, man, we're all believers and this is great. There were some things I had to work through. And one of them was just language. Uh, just we, They talk different in Sovereign Grace churches. I'll never forget. I was after a message. Now, you remember, I'm coming from the streets. I'm a criminal. I'm a convict. And I'm, I'm hearing all these people talking. I'm, I remember sitting around this whole bunch of people. They were white people. And they were like, man, I was so convicted. And I thought... Wow. I thought, man, all these white folks been locked up? Whoa. So I'm asking people, hey, man, what was your charge, man? 
They're like, what are you talking about? I said, you've been convicted, right? Me too. What was your charge? They're like, no, no, no. It's different language, you know? Same thing with courting. People told me, yeah, I'm about to court. I said, man, who's the judge? I might be able to help you with your case. I said, no, courting with a girl. I said, oh, you, your girl's going to court with you? I said, no. It was different. It was different. But I stayed. I stayed because what I saw was people passionate about God. And I just, and when I was on the streets, there was always this fear of knowing. I used to drive around with a gun on my lap. And I remember thinking, man, if I get killed, I'm going to burn in hell. I, I, I knew that much. So I had this fascination with heaven when I became a believer and still do. And I remember thinking like, man, heaven is going to be a whole bunch of people. And they ain't going to be black or white. They ain't no predominant. What's predominant in heaven is Lord, the Lord. And believers in the Lord, and we all going to look different. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to grind this out. I'm going to stay because I'm learning about the Lord. And that's good enough for me. So I had to get used to different rhythm and music. You know, y'all jump up and down. You know, black people, we groove a little bit. You know, we, it's a little different. It's different. But when I got out, when I realized that the words are so true, my preference for the rhythm became secondary. And now every once in a while, you might catch me jumping up and down, you know. <laughs> I stayed there, and after a few years of being in discipleship groups under Eric Simmons, I was asked to lead a, a care group, which you call uh, uh, covenant groups. I was asked to be a covenant group leader, and I did that. And God gave me a lot of grace in that group and a lot of fruit, and that group grew. And they, Josh Harris and Eric Simmons asked me to become an intern to see if I was called to ministry. I had no desire to be a pastor, none, none. I, and I thought, man, I've done so much. There's no way that God wants to use me, none. So I, just, I remember Eric saying, look, come with me to this Am I Called seminar. We were at Celebration, and I wanted to play basketball. And I was like, where are we going? He said, to find out if you called to be a pastor. And I said, for what? I said, I'm trying to play ball. So I sat in this seminar like this. But I agreed that I could sacrifice a year of my life. I was a real estate agent. I could sacrifice a year of my life and learn from these men, and I never went back. I came on staff, stayed there for a few years. God opened up doors for me musically as a Christian rap artist named Voice, traveled the country performing, preaching, and speaking. And then in fall of 07, I agreed to go to Sovereign Graces Pastors College and I graduated in 08. And I'm grateful. In that process, the highest, one of the highest, I mean, the second highest gift from the Lord was I met this beautiful woman, and she agreed to marry me August 29, 2004. And since then, the Lord has given us two beautiful boys, Santiago and Giovanni. And so that is how a boy from the hood comes to stand before you in your church, a co-laborer in the gospel. Amen. All right, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 14. This is a familiar story. We're going to look at 11 verses this morning. These are, this is a story of Jesus 
walking on the water to the boat to the disciples, and Peter gets out of the boat and addresses Jesus, and Jesus addresses him. So we're going to look at that this morning, and let me give you just a quick structure. We're going to, I'm going to give you a brief background so you can understand the context, because as you see the passage, if you have my translation, which is an ESV, it begins with the words immediately. So there's a sense of there's action already taking place. We're going to give a quick background so you find out what happened prior to that. And then there are going to be three issues that I believe God wants to address this morning. So I'll begin reading. I'm reading from the ESV. Read these 11 verses. I'll pray, give you the background, then we'll jump right in. Beginning in verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning not as a mere formality before speaking, but as an expression of dependence on you. For, Lord, whatever words I say fall on the ears of the deaf unless your spirit quickens the heart to hear. So I pray this morning that they would hear a better sermon than I can preach and that you would supply the appropriate application to their needs as as Keith so spoke this morning. The various trials, Lord, that are experienced in this room, I pray that you would lead them to find comfort in the words of a feeble man seeking to glorify you. So I thank you, Lord, for this time. And may you be glorified in all that is spoken today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just to give you a little background, you don't have to turn now. I'm going to briefly just tell you what's happening. Uh, Jesus had just left Nazareth and... Uh, John's disciples came to Jesus and said that Herod had beheaded John the Baptist. This was Jesus' cousin. He was six months prior to Jesus. This was John the Baptist who uh, uh, baptized Jesus. So there was a relationship there. He was a blood relative. He was predestined by Jesus himself to be in the form of Elijah the prophet, the one who would make way for Jesus to come. And obviously, Jesus knew what would be his end, and his disciples come, and they say, John the Baptist is dead. Jesus desires to go be with the Father, the Scripture says, to a desolate place, a a place of solitude, to pray, and I would imagine to grieve. In the process of going there, Jesus notices a large crowd of people are following him, and because he has compassion on them, He begins to teach them. It begins to get dark, and his disciples say, we got to send these folks home. 
It's, they got to eat. It's getting dark. We don't have anything to feed him. And, you know, Jesus, he, you know, sometimes people have an impression of Jesus that he was like this serious dude. Jesus had a little fun. So Jesus is like, you, you don't have to go anywhere. You feed him. So, Lord, we got five loaves and two fish. Scripture records 5,000 men. It was roughly 12,000 people if you count women and children. And you got five loaves and two fish. Five loaves and two fish can't feed me. And here are all these people. So Jesus takes what they have. He prays, breaks it, and everybody eats good. They ate good like we ate at Little Dizzy's uh, the other night, I imagine. (laughs) And so all these people, in the Gospel of John, it says these people wanted to make him king, but he didn't want that. Didn't want to be their king. It says he knew what was in their heart. So he does this miracle, has his compassion, he teaches them all day, he feeds them, and then... He wants to return to what his original plan was, to be alone with the Father. And that's where we pick up in verse 22. So he feeds the people, and it says immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. So he has his disciples get into the boat and says he'll meet them on the other side. Then Jesus dismisses the crowds. And in verse 23, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and he was there alone. Now what happened is it was windy. And so while Jesus is praying by himself, winds begin to pick up. And you guys are on the coastline, so you know this better than I do. The water just whips those winds up. So the winds take the boat way away. It says, uh, it says in one translation, many stadia, which is about 607 feet. This is many of them. So, so imagine these guys are multiple football fields away. It's nighttime. It's windy. And that's nothing to Jesus. So instead of waiting for another boat, he just decides to walk on water. Now these guys see something walking in the water, and they are terrified and say, it is a ghost. Now I can personally sympathize with the disciples. Here's why. Because Jesus did this at the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Okay? It could be like 4.18 a.m. At 4.18 a.m., you are irrational. (laughs) You are irrational. Unless you're used to being up at that time of day, you are irrational. I can relate to the disciples. One morning, I couldn't sleep. I woke up. It was about 4.15 and to go back to sleep, I decided to watch TV, which I normally don't do because there's nothing good on at that time. It's unwise. But I decided to watch a channel that I never watch. I promise you, I never, ever, ever watch this channel. No real man should watch this channel. I assure you, I never watch this channel, but I, I turned it on QVC. I knew this will put me back to sleep. So all of a sudden, this jump rope comes on the screen and all these people with a before and after picture that have used this jump rope have lost all this weight using this jump rope. And I can own this jump rope for three easy payments of $39.95. It's $4.15. I'm irrational. 
and it's starting to make sense to me. <laughs> and I'm watching the different pitches and all the people, and I'm, I'm looking at myself and looking at this dude, and like, man, we look kind of the same. And, and so I grab my phone, and I begin to dial. And then my wife comes out and says, sweetie, what are you doing? And I said, babe, there's a jump rope on TV that all these people lost weight using. I didn't tell her how much it was because I was irrational, not dumb. So I just said, I'm going to order this jump rope. And so she shook her head and went back to bed. And so I ordered the jump rope, and I was so excited, I paid it in one easy payment of $120. And then it came, and I took it out of the box. And as many of you can discern visibly, it didn't work. It did not deliver as promised. That was a horrible display of irrationality. I was irrational. The disciples are irrational. I can sympathize with them. They think they see a ghost. You know, I don't, I don't know. They, look, there's a reason when fear is irrational. But there are certain times when fear can be like an appropriate irrationality. So in this moment, the wind is blowing and they think they see this guy. Look, if I'm walking out in the woods, first of all, something is wrong if I'm walking out in the woods <laughs> myself. There's a, look, there's a reason why black people are not in horror films. Let me tell you. There's a reason why you never see black people in horror films. Because black people, we don't, we don't put ourselves in situations to be in that context. Like, I don't hear noise in the bushes in the dark and walk up and say, man, is that you? <laughs> see, I'm not that curious. See, black people, we know curiosity kills cats, you know? <laughs> if I hear noise in the bushes, I, I, I ask questions with a head start. So I'm like this, is that you? Because if you come running, I'm gone. I'm t- I know, and I know, hey, look, I'm a big dude, but I'm quick, I'm gone. If you come, I'm quick, I'm, I'm quick. I'm gone, I will outrun a Clydesdale. My life is in danger. I so relate to their fear. You can relate to their fear. There is a fear of what you don't understand. And sometimes that fear is God. But look at the words of the Savior in verses 27. These men are afraid, and it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Sometimes the Lord just wants his words to comfort us. So that's what he gives them first, his word. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. In verses 22 through 27, we are, we are informed of the wonderful sovereignty of God, his, his rulership, his ability to make bread and feed multitudes of people beyond its normal capabilities. We are aware of the leadership of the Lord to send his disciples away. And to dismiss the people, we are aware of God's desire to meet with God, his dependence fully human on the Father. We are aware of his sovereign rule over the elements as he's walking 
on water, God is informing us of all of these wonderful things about Jesus. But in verse 28 and 33, God is no longer informing us. He's actually addressing us. See, we're watching a scene, but now we are inside of the boat. From verses 28 through 33, and there are three issues that God wants to address. And the first is this. The wind is intentional. The wind is intentional. Looking at verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you in the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Now, we're not sure why Peter didn't know it was the Lord. He heard the voice, maybe because it was windy, because it was fear. He heard the voice. The Lord said, come. We don't know how Peter is processing the situation. We do know that Peter's a fisherman. And it's more than likely that he's fished in these waters and knows how deep it is. And knows that if if he gets out of that boat and walks, and it's not the Lord, something terrible is probably going to happen. He may have been aware of how deep the water is, so he steps out in faith, and then it says he walked to Jesus, and just when he should have had the most faith, he lacked it. Why? Why would he become afraid at the winds when he's standing right here with Jesus? You know, it's possible. Maybe it's possible. Uh, in, in Matthew 8, a few chapters earlier, they were on a boat, and the boat was rocking, and Jesus was sleeping, and they woke him up, said, Lord, aren't you? Save us. And he rebuked them for faith, and then he says, peace be still to the wind. And then it stops. And they say, man, who is this dude that can calm the winds? Jesus didn't do that this time. He told Peter to come. And the wind was blowing. And Peter, focusing on the wind, was afraid. Jesus has the authority to peace be still the wind. But he doesn't. And here's why. Because the wind revealed what Peter's faith was in. And it wasn't in the Lord. It was not in the Lord. My oldest son, Chago, is two. And when he was born, prior to his being born, there were, there were real serious concerns about his health, so much so that we had to go to specialists every month, a couple times a month. And they had basically told us that he was going to have Down syndrome or severe birth defects when he was born. And I remember walking out of the doctor's office and hearing this news and realizing the insensitivity of this doctor and the way that he said this about my son as if I was supposed to be indifferent towards it. And my mind went to a hundred different places. What if he never understands the gospel? What if all of our children are like this? What if what if we have to live with him the rest of our life? He won't be able to function. What if, what if he can never play sports? What if he never gets married? And I'm going down all these roads, and I assure you, the wind was blowing. 
And all I was doing was focusing on the wind. So I called up a friend of mine, a pastor. And I just said, look, man, I'm struggling. Here's the news I heard. Here are the x-rays they took. And it looks pretty probable. And I was telling him all the things that I'm thinking about. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. God doesn't give you grace for your imagination. He said, God will give you grace to handle the situation, should that be it. Let's start with what's true right now. God is sovereign. Start there. There's a possibility your son may have this birth defect and so forth. So up until the very moment he had to be born early, there were complications to my wife's pregnancy. He had to come a month early. And up to that moment, I had no idea what he was going to look like. And to be honest, I couldn't even really enjoy the birth of my first son because I was fearful of what is he going to look like because all we heard was doom and gloom. And so I'm waiting, and as they pull my son out, I'm watching to see how they're responding. And I'll just, please, someone tell me something. You've told me all this stuff for four months. Tell me anything. And then they say, he looks like he's going to be all right. And I look at him, and I think, well, he looks okay to me. And they say, no, I think he's fine. And then time goes by, and they realize the only birth defect that he has is he looks too much like his dad. (laughs) So I am currently teaching him how to make the girls laugh. But the wind, the wind was blowing. The wind was blowing. And I, like Peter, focused on the wind. What is the wind in your life this morning? I was affected by hearing Keith exhort us from First Peter because I am a pastor. And I know what it's like to feel the weight of the people you love the most and their struggles. And based upon what he said, it sounds like the wind is blowing in here this morning. What is the wind in your life? The wind for Peter is literal. But in reality, all it was was a, was a circumstance of weather. The wind represents circumstances in life, and often they can be difficult. What is the wind in your life this morning? In a failing economy, our finances, your wind. Keith alluded to significant health issues that represent that the wind is blowing and you know that God has the authority to peace be still the wind in your life but he presently is not why because it's intentional because it's through this wind that what you believe in comes to the surface God is using the wind in your life to reveal what you believe about him. And I assure you, if your emphasis this morning is solely on the circumstances of your life that are difficult, like I did, 
it makes total sense to me that like Peter, you begin to sink. Maybe you want Jesus to peace be still the winds in your life, but instead they continue to blow. Is he in control? Is he still sovereign? All of these kinds of questions, I have them. I do them. They understandable, unacceptable. Because they become, they become questions of God's sovereignty. And they reveal that the focus, like Peter, is not on the sovereignty of the Lord, but they're on the discomfort of the circumstances. The wind is intentional because it reveals what you really believe in. You know, Peter, interestingly enough, the scripture says that he came to Jesus. And there was a crucial element that Peter totally forgot. See, when you focus on the wind so much and how much it's blowing, and how fearful we are of these things, what happens is you totally forget, like Peter, the second issue that God wants to address. See, Peter completely forgot that one, it was God, it was God himself, it was Jesus who said come. Peter forgot that Jesus didn't, wasn't sinking at all. There's no indication in this passage that Jesus had difficulty keeping himself afloat, nor did he have difficulty keeping Peter afloat. See, Peter forgot who he was standing with in the midst of the wind. He forgot he was standing with Jesus. Yes, the wind is intentional. But Jesus standing with Peter in the midst of the wind is also intentional. Jesus stands in the midst of your blowing wind this morning. It's intentional. He's not peace be stilling the wind because he wants you to know that he's standing with you in the midst of it. What Peter was supposed to see regardless of how hard the wind blows, is that he is not alone. Jesus, sovereignly ruler in authority over all the elements, is standing with Peter and us in the midst of every circumstance, every various trial and wind, he's there. He is there. Relational disappointments. He's there. Financial struggles. He's there. Health issues. 
He's there. It's blowing. But he's there. I think it's one of the things that is strange to me about being a Christian. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but I, I find it strange that I have faith that when I die, and most Christians will say this, I have faith that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. Even though I know that the way that I lived, I deserve to go to hell. I deserve God's wrath. I'm going to experience God's mercy for something that someone did almost 2,000 years ago that I've never seen. I wasn't there to witness. I've only experienced that and read it and I believe it. I have the utmost confidence that the scariest thing in the world that when I die, I'm going to open up and be in front of God, my creator, and spend the rest of the time and eternity with him. I have utmost confidence in that. And yet I doubt whether the Lord can take care of my son's health. How is it that we can trust God with the scariest, most precious thing, our souls? And yet we don't trust him for our finances. Or we cannot trust him for some relative or some relationship or our health. It's so odd to me. And so when the wind blows in my life, I know that the Lord is revealing what I believe in. This morning, the wind is blowing. If you have faith that your soul is going to rest in eternity with God, oh, church, have faith that if the eternal circumstances are fine, that God can handle your temporary circumstances as well. It is that reason why the wind is intentional because God wants you to know I'm right here. I'm right here. In this particular story, it's easy for Peter, it's easy for us to say, well, Peter, it's easy for him to see that he can see the Lord. I mean, he can visibly see Jesus. Jesus said, come. He's been walking with Jesus. He can see him. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord immediately raised him up. It's easy for Peter, sure, but how can we know? How do we know that Jesus stands with us in the midst of the wind? He was right there in front of Peter. He grabbed Peter. He touched him. He could see him. I can see Keith. I know Keith is there. How do I know that when I'm struggling that the Lord is standing with me? How do I know that when I'm in pain physically the Lord stands with me in the midst? How do I know that when the Lord, when I need money and the Lord knows that and nothing's coming in and there's no work, how do I know that he stands with me in the midst of the wind like he does Peter? How do I know that's true? Here's how you know the confidence that Jesus stands with you in the midst of your trial comes from the knowledge that Jesus stood for you on the cross on a hill called Calvary. We have confidence that this man took 39 lashes on his back by a whip that was laced with bone, metal, and stone that each impact would rip off skin off his back. 
We have knowledge that he carried along with Simon up a hill, a heavy hundred pound wooden tree formed in the shape of a T. And we have confidence that he voluntarily laid down his life, experiencing the pain that he designed. Once the nails would pound his flesh. But that agony was nothing compared to the agony of for the first time ever, God the Father hated his son because of what you and I did. God the Father, those six hours for Jesus were going to hell for everyone in this room deserving of it. Jesus hung there on a cross. Every breath you take crushes your lungs. You die by asphyxiation. You can't breathe. So every breath you take, everything Jesus said on the cross, every breath, it crushes your lungs. That's why they break your legs because you can't, you don't have any power to push yourself up. So you die. You suffocate quicker. He stood for you and die at the cross. That's the confidence that he stands with us. If you believe Jesus stood for you, then you must fight to believe that he stands with you in the midst of all various trials. And we must fight for it. We must fight to believe it. If you find yourself this morning like Peter, where you are focusing on the wind too much, the intentionality of the wind is distracting you from the intentionality of the presence of God. If you find yourself this morning like Peter, there's one thing Peter did do right in this passage. And I believe God would have us do the same thing. It's found in verse 30. It says, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him. If you find yourself like Peter, focusing so much on the circumstances of your life that you struggle with, and those circumstances are tempting you to be bitter at God or to judge God or to doubt God, or to question those in your life who are trying to represent God, if you find yourself in that place at all this morning, there is hope. See, Jesus didn't leave Peter for his lack of faith. God doesn't turn his back on his children. You know why? Because he turned his back already on his son. He's done turning his back on those who have faith in him. Lord, save me. We go to the Lord. We confess. We go to those we trust. We ask God to save us, not from a salvation, forgiveness of sin perspective, but to forgive us, save us from the, the way we're thinking right now, the way we're feeling right now. And I assure you that God will reach out his hand and pull you back up. 
and will restore your faith. The wind is intentional. God's presence is intentional. But there is one more issue of intentionality that God wants to address this morning. If, if it is clear to you that the wind is intentional and God's presence is intentional, then the last intentionality in this passage is found. And it is the one time that all of the disciples got it right in verse 33. It says, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. If you believe the wind is intentional, but God's presence is intentional, then our worship of God should be intentional. The disciples said, truly, you are the son of God. That was their expression of worship to God. Truly, you are the son of God for us. It's fighting how we feel when we think and when our desires want a response that does not please God. Truly you are the son of God to us is fighting to obey God. It's fighting to press in even though the wind seems to blow harder. Truly you are the son of God is the worship that we need to have when the winds are blowing. It's the reason why you pray and you read when you don't feel like it. It's the reason you go to your pastors and ask for help. It's the reason you receive adjustment or prayer. Truly you are the son of God is agreeing with God that who he is and what he says in his word is true, even if it disagrees with how I feel and what I think. If we have hope with God for eternal destination, may we have hope in him for temporary situation. Oh, God is pleased with the here and now faith. He's pleased with that. Lastly, just a few categories of hope in the Lord. I'm just going to go through these quickly. There are many different facets to hoping in the Lord. Here's a few of them. Trust in the Lord, Psalm 32.10. That is an expression of hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Psalm 32.10, humble ourselves before the Lord. Humbling ourselves before the Lord is an expression of having hope in the Lord. So we trust in the Lord. We humble ourselves. Listen, a lot of this battle is mental. A lot of this is head versus heart. This is how I feel. This is what I need to think. I'm going to discipline my mind to think what I should think and then inform my actions rather than my heart and how I feel inform my mind and then form my actions. Waiting for the Lord, Isaiah 30, 18. Humbling ourselves. You can go to Proverbs 3, 34. Or 1 Peter 5. Fear the Lord, Psalm 31, 9. These are, these are all expressions of hoping in the Lord. Love the Lord, Exodus 20, 5 and 6. Turning to the Lord, Isaiah 55, 7. Taking refuge in the Lord, Psalm 31, 19. Seeking the Lord, Psalm 34, 10. Repenting to the Lord, 
Isaiah 59, 20, and having faith in the Lord. 2 Chronicles 20, 20. These are all facets of hope in the Lord. When the wind is blowing in your life, grab on to one at least of these. For many of us, I bet you waiting for the Lord is going to be what tempts us to focus on the wind and like Peter sink. Oh, church, remember though, he stands with you because he stood for you. Fight to believe that. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak to your children, my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that as you allow the winds to blow in our lives, all of us, for none of us are exempt from blowing wind, as you allow it to blow, Lord, may we not use it to focus on everything but you. For our focus on the winds more than you is an expression of an evaluation about you that you are incapable of sustaining us in the midst of it. It's almost as if we say to you, yeah, I know you died on the cross, but Father, may the reality that you stood for us on the cross give us confidence that you stand with us in the midst of our circumstances. And while we do pray that you peace be still the wind, we do, Lord. We pray that you peace be still the wind in waters. We pray that you peace be still the wind in Lower Ninth Ward and all the other schools that we've been in in this city this week. We pray that you peace be still the wind as, as Keith will lead us in prayer and momentarily. We pray that you peace be still the wind, but Lord, should you sovereignly choose not to, may we remember that we stand with you, or better, you stand with us in the midst of the wind blowing. And may that, oh Lord, may that comfort us as we seek to fight for hope in you. Preserve your boasts, Lord. And give us faith to believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kurt, thank you. That was a message with a thousand handles on it, my friend. Very helpful, very helpful, very timely. Listen, I know that there's many of us here who probably just heard just enough this morning to realize I'm looking at the wind. That's exactly what I've been doing. I've been looking at the wind. It's a great illustration. I think God just being in the room with us and his nearness and just reminding us of his presence, his presence that is proven to be faithful. Because